0: Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of Flow Forward. We're on our 11th episode, I believe now.
1: Holy crap. Uh, and um, It just won't
0: die. God, we, we keep trying to kill it. Um, I am your host, Fred, uh, and joining me this evening is Kar Naur. Say hi. Hi. And Catrice.
2: Death to the infinite. Oh, wait, that's a different part. <laughs>
0: and Jonathan. Hello, yeah. And Cavoir. Hi. And Mr. Mark. Hi, everyone. And
1: Rob. Hey. <laughs> did everyone just like picture the little like hand flip? Like you just like exactly. put your, your hand forward, <laughs> down. No? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I hey. kinda did that. Yeah. That I'd clap for you, but
2: that's triggering, so you'll just get jazz hands that you can't see.
3: That's good. That's
4: good. Yeah, I literally had a flashback to being on set at RuPaul's rag race.
3: (laughs) Wow, that's
4: (laughs) in there.
3: On the Mm -hmm. set. Okay.
0: Um all right. We're gonna leave that backstory mysterious and (laughs) continue forward. (laughs) Flailing. Um, Oh boy. We're going to, yeah, flailing just a lot. Hmm. Okay, so our topic for this evening is designing for the conversation. So um we're going to be kind of new agey and talk about story games, um, because that's, I'm not saying that you don't have that within older games, but that's really where this concept, at least the way we're going to no, talk about it, I think has come about.
3: It's applicable.
0: Yep.
5: <laughs>
0: I,
3: we'll get there. Okay. Let's not yeah. talk over each other.
0: So with this question, I don't, I don't think we should discuss it. We'll discuss it later, but I think everyone should just give their answer or their non-answer because this is kind of a nebulous question. And then we'll just move along to to not keep you in suspense. My question is what is a conversation? Uh, And you know, how does that differ from like an argument or a discussion or a debate or does it not, if that's your choice?
4: Conversation is an umbrella term for all of those other specific variations.
2: Yeah, I'd have to agree with him on this. You'd have to have, for a conversation to take place, there'd have to be at least two people.
4: Or one person with two voices in their head.
2: Yeah, and that's included under two people. (laughs) Like, if you can have full conversation with yourself... That's still basically are playing two characters. So it's still two people, essentially. There has to be more than one side to the conversation. And yeah, it basically covers all of those. Okay.
0: Okay. So Ker- Carr and Catrice have taken the opinion that they're not specifically different, but are blanket terms. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, do you have any specific
5: thoughts? Uh, I agree. That they're. That it- conversation is a blanket term for those things but but in in a general sense i i believe it's uh two things uh people probably that are it's sort of a statement and response um that's that's basically it
2: actually that's a good point as well it has to have a response like if you have two people talking that aren't talking in response to what each other is saying, then it's not really a conversation, is it?
4: Yeah, there has to be a a Back and an forth. input and response cycle. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah, that's reasonable. War, uh, do you have any other specific thoughts?
6: Not really. I believe if you're using conversation as the term, as opposed to the other ones, it lends a slightly more casual and less structured air. But that is just me. <laughs>
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, especially yeah, in regard to like debate you... or something.
2: Well, up until you tell someone, "Okay, we need to have a conversation." <laughs> yeah, Suddenly, that is it's not, not, not so light and casual, is it? <laughs> hmm.
0: uh, Mark, do you have any opinion?
1: I I think everyone uh kind of hit it on the head and uh i just add that like if i were to define conversation um that i'd agree it's it's sort of more um friendly or informal like that Or um it's not uh uh, aggressive or there's not an emotional association to it it's very passive like a conversation to me is um sort of the broadest term neutral thank you yeah
2: yeah, I, I don't know. Like, just I wouldn't define a conversation as its own specific thing.
6: It's not really, but it's like you usually use other terms if it's yeah right. I was gonna. <laughs> say.
2: Yeah, I think well, it's, it's more. So wait. Sorry.
0: Before we go on, I just want to ask Rob, um, just to make sure everyone has gotten their voice in.
3: Yeah, I have a little bit of a different perspective. Okay, Okay. go ahead. So I see a conversation as an attempt to reach convergence on something. So this is not like a debate where you have your position and you're arguing for your position um, or an argument where you believe you're right and somebody else is in the wrong. Um, I see a conversation as an attempt for both parties to try and reach, not necessarily compromise, but to have the same view of reality in their head at the same time. So you're having a, com- like, <clears throat> in Catrice's example, like, hey, we need to have a conversation. You are trying to get somebody else on the same page as you because something mm-hmm. is wrong. Um, in a game conversation, uh, to to circle it back around to that, I feel like the conversation is oftentimes between the GM and the player attempting to converge on the reality of the game.
4: Okay, that's, that's interesting. But, okay, that... Sort of, as you stated it, that sort of implies that once convergence is achieved, that's that's the end. What? Ha- but we know it's not.
3: Yeah, so I think it's the end it of that. It has piece. to be a
4: a reaching convergence and then maintaining that sync.
3: Yeah, but it's impossible to maintain because you're as soon as you stop talking about whatever is going on, both of you have a divergent idea in your head, and then you have to reconverse to realign them I, I i that's i don't know maybe this is too esoteric a point i mean maybe it's too fine a point like it's just i'm just defining it
0: no no i i maybe i don't know I, I think i understand what you mean in that yeah you <clears throat> You're having a conversation and exchanging ideas so that you two can both have the same understanding of the thing you're talking about, and yes, convergence as you said. Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially if we're talking about it as opposed to something like a debate, um, like
5: you mentioned, or an argument or something. Yeah. Uh, What about you, Fred? I
0: I I don't know. I so I came with this question. I never had a good answer. Um, Now that we've kind of got about it. I don't know. I, I I like Rob's answer because I think it it keeps it within the RPG space that we're going with. In that, the conversation you're having around the tables you play an RPG is essentially this this part to make sure that you're all agreeing upon the reality and also building the reality of the fiction that you're creating mm-hmm. um, as you are playing. And so I I think we'll go with something along the lines of that. I'm not I'm not sure that I can call a conversation the same as like a argument or a, a debate um, I, I don't necessarily think that that's fully a blanket term uh,
3: that- yeah I mean I, I can see how because it's a subset I think I don't think I think I think when Kevor was saying like it's generally speaking like there's a there's a connotation there that suggests casualness uh, I mm-hmm. think that's accurate um, you know and, and RPG conversations tend to be pretty ca- casual you know um, you're yeah. not generally talking about like really horrific life events that happen to you and or something like that. Those things generally don't come up in RPGs They're they're you're mm-hmm. there to have fun with other people and your friends. And um, the, you know, it's it's hard to have fun when you start getting into really heavy topics. Although some people do enjoy that. Uh,
2: well, there are subsets though. Like you said, I think we're like, arguing. Uh, ban- put it that banter way. banter is actually probably more accurate in most, conversations in rpgs sure
5: so sure uh it it brings something up that i didn't think of of um the conversation at the table as in uh there's sort of this conversation that happens in RPGs that is less focused on game it could be just making statements about your, your, your character between characters um, as opposed to making action-type statements like "I would like to do this" or "What do I see?" or stuff like that,
4: yeah. uh, Actually, which is the way I think of. Okay, go on.
5: Just a, it's like a conversation, sort of, with the game or within the context of the game, and just conversation context
4: of the the whole, I guess, setting. Yeah, that that kind of gets into what leads to what I was going to say is that I consider there to be three intertwined conversations happening concurrently which are the, the exchanges between characters the meta conversation between players about the, the fiction and then there's completely off-topic banter that's about nothing to do with the game
5: Hmm.
4: And do you mean like. I would
2: whole... also include there's probably also a fourth of mechanics discussion as well. That, which is that not. Meta, quite... the meta. The I meta don't com... think it's quite meta. Like it's a separate form good. of the meta. Like I would classify it as two separate things.
1: So uh-huh. to,
5: to, to jump back out a bit, when we're talking about designing conversations, so let me know if I'm stepping in your toes, Fred. What mm. what are we designing for? When when we when we look at a game and we look at all these different conversations that are happening, what conversation are we designing for that?
0: Mm. Okay. Jonathan, um, I'm gonna step on your toes a little bit because I had okay. a <clears throat> so the the one thing that I really like that I've read about this that's very fast is the um, opening introduction to what a thing is from a, to what this thing is from Apocalypse World, um, which I'll read real quickly because I think it's really nice um, to explain this mostly f- for people who haven't read this. Um, I know there's other explanations, but this one's quick. It is. You probably know this already. Role playing is a conversation. You and the other players go back and forth, talking about these fictional characters and their fictional circumstances, doing whatever it is that they do. Like any conversation, you take turns, but it's not like taking turns, right? Sometimes you talk over each other, interrupt, build on each other's ideas, monopolize. All fine. All these rules do is mediate the conversation. They kick in when someone says particular things, and they impose constraints on what everyone should say after. Makes sense, right? Now, of course, that's specific to Apocalypse World, but I think the ultimate thing of the rules are just there to move along with the conversation um, and to you know, to react to what people are saying or to force them to say certain things is part of at least the, or a big part of what is designing for the conversation.
4: The spirit of that, the spirit of that statement is spot on.
3: Yeah, I would agree. You
4: could, you could nitpick about the exact wording, but the spirit of it is truth. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd
2: actually slightly disagree on that not a lot but basically it describes the game as being purely descriptive when that's not entirely the case game is also partially prescriptive like it it tells it directs the conversation as much as it uh handles what happens as the conversation goes on like it doesn't just. Follow whatever the players are saying. It also kind of leads the players into saying things in the first place. It does but, sort of
3: touch hmm, on that's that. That's Certainly true. Yeah, it does and touch I, on that. Mm-hmm. It, it, where it says and directs the players to, or forces the pl- what was it? Forces the players to say th- certain things.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. they impose constraints on what everyone should say. Should say afterwards.
3: Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say that's, yeah. that that <laughs> falls into that realm. I I think Cats has a little more nuance to it, but.
2: Yeah, you I know when I you're don't, running for brevity. That's yeah. why I said I only slightly yeah. disagree, because for the most part, it's mostly true, but I think that it was very, very heavily on the, this is what happens after players do things, but I think it's actually almost 50-50 in leading the conversation, and then describing what happens after the conversation takes place. I think most games are usually a good mixture of both.
4: There's, um, every game is a certain mix of, um, interpreting that statement and implementing the vision of performing what that statement describes.
5: Okay. Uh, so, what were you going to say,
1: Jonathan?
4: Well,
5: um, I think sometimes, you know, Apocalypse World, uh, is a bit of a, Trigger for some people, and so the without taking that out of the context of that it's in the game apocalypse world, I think it helps people. Um, but yeah, but something something else that uh, Vincent Baker also said, and probably others, was that um, when designing, it's good to have the player interact with the mechanic, or the player trigger mechanics, then the mechanics trigger a player reaction. And then back and forth, as opposed to player triggers mechanics, triggers mechanics triggers mechanics, triggers player. Um, So every time you yeah
4: you have a matter of whether
5: wait, Carl, let him finish. Please. Yeah, just a point of um, it. It it I guess that's like keeping the conversation going. Uh, When a mechanic triggers another mechanic, there's no that that's a that's a stall. Nothing's happening there.
4: Okay. And Carr? I was going to say, that's a matter of whether or not the narrative is being pulled by conversation and player action, or pushed by the mechanics.
2: Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. would also say if you're triggering mechanics one after the other, it's very similar to if you just roll for everything, like you're yep. basically automating the process to the point that the players have no input. Like mm-hmm. when you trigger a mechanic, it's like, okay, this should present an option to the players. And then the players have to put in more input into it. Right. And they get an output that triggers more input to be added if. There's no point of input into the system by the players. Then there's no point in having the conversation at all.
4: Yep. and well, the conversation all... stops because there's no input phase of it. Yeah. There's no opportunity for that. It's all uh, an avalanche of response.
1: Yep. It's just a machine because what mm-hmm. what we're really trying to do is say, can we take freeform role playing and then give it rules so that it fits a style of story that we want to tell um, and there's there's a wargaming aspect to it as well which is the mechanics facing uh, in a lot of traditional games but i guess if you're looking at the story aspect of what makes rpgs so compelling it's really that player input that's key like that's the conversation that we need to be designing for and the mechanics are there to support the decisions of the players and um, the, the the story is leading the players to make these decisions. If
3: that makes so, sense. yeah. So, what are some ways that people can do that in a game? Like, how how exactly do we design to move the conversation forward?
4: Well, okay. Before we get into that, I would like to as- make an assertion. That... Um, okay that every rule has some impact on the conversation. Positive or negative, laterally, laterally, whatever. A designer has to go out of their way to find a way to make a rule that does not impact the conversation somehow.
0: Um, Yeah, I I agree with that, generally. Um, I think there's a couple things I could probably pull out that don't fit that, but yeah, as a general rule, I agree. Um, but that's just because conversation is the way in which role playing games are played. So by following the rules, you are interacting with the conversation.
1: Um, but yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, Rob. What was the question again? I I missed it. What? Oh, uh, yeah. I was now, we, how... now we can get into how.
3: <laughs> it was it was how. What what are some things? What are some ways we as designers can be on alert to design for that conversation and keep it moving forward and not. Uh, not designed for for dead ends or cul-de-sacs or ways that it will stagnate.
2: I think it's actually pretty straightforward. It says just make sure that any time you build any role of any sort, that at the end of it, whatever its output is, the players have to provide the new input. You cannot have a rule which uses the output of a previous role as its own input. If you do that, then it basically runs as a machine on its own without players actually doing anything. It just becomes an automated cycle. So as long as you take every rule that you add and you ask the players, okay, what do you do with this, then it will always work. As long as you had the
0: thing that I'm pretty sure Jonathan mentioned earlier, the mechanical action, fictional response, fictional action, mechanical response. Right. Um, <clears throat> And that's an important part of the thing that Cat was talking about, but yeah, as well. And I think one of the other things that I'm I'm thinking Rob is trying to poke us towards, which is getting rid of like just the standard "you fail" as a response to a role um, and have it be something where it's like you you succeed, but with a complication or something you didn't intend happens, or something like that, where it, <clears throat> you know, you might not get the outcome you wanted but you still move the story forward and have things occur as the result of a role always. Or as the result of uh, an action I should say, mm-hmm. not a role.
4: I think there's a place for just a flat out you fail but it shouldn't be relied on. It shouldn't... It sh- there There needs to be a it needs less focus than it's enjoyed so far uh, like, i like it's kind I of think, become a crutch okay
0: i think um for me that an outcome that is just failure while sometimes fine is always less interesting than an outcome that includes something like a complication or you know a new threat or something else oh,
2: um generally that the biggest thing is what we were saying earlier is you want to have the player's input on something right, so what what do you do ends up being better, so it's not like you fail, but it's like okay, you have the capacity to do two of the three things you want to do, which one do you fail at
4: mm-hmm.
0: yeah the um but the good good easy example we can point to is that as long as we're talking about apocalypse world, sorry, war. Um, is the little uh, moves in Apocalypse World where you get to choose. You know, it says choose two on this list of a bunch, which often usually has a choice like that of, if you don't choose this thing, something bad is going to happen. And so you get a, a conflict and choice within the rules. But go ahead, Cavour.
6: Uh Basically, I wanted to just point out what I consider the most important of the things you listed is basically, and kind of getting back to everything, And it connects all this is, but if uh, failure shouldn't be nothing happens, failure should be, failure should always cause something to happen. It's just probably not what you want. Yeah.
3: Mm, Yeah. Mm. hmm. Agreed. Yeah.
6: Yeah. I don't have any problem with you fail as long as you fail does something instead of you fail, somebody else can immediately try to do what you just did. Yep. Mm -hmm. That is the worst. (laughs)
3: right that's part of that. so the first time I encountered that particular philosophy was in uh burning wheel actually whereas the let it ride rule they call it, where it's the if whatever the dice roll was, that's what it was, there's no retries that's your' that's how you're gonna do at it. That was the total summation of your efforts, you know in that in that category. It was not like a discrete instance of you attempting a thing. it was like, you doing it as best as you possibly could, and hear the results rather than because a lot of a lot of games frame it as like, here's a discrete attempt, roll a die. Uh oh, you didn't do it. Okay, well here's you can you you may be able to try again with another discrete attempt, or somebody else may be able to, able to try, do it with another discrete attempt. Whereas the the let it ride rule, um, as I recall it, was is is more like this is representing a larger effort than one instance of an attempt is representing your attempt plus then like maybe a false start plus then maybe like you found out you were doing it a little wrong and so you course corrected and all, all all those kinds of things are sort of rolled into that and to me that was one of the a very valuable thing that that i extracted out of burning wheel i think it was probably one of the best parts of that game. but this was many many years ago when that that sort of philosophy wasn't really Ubiquitous in games, and it was you were hard pressed to find something even remotely like it. Yeah. To be
2: fair, I don't really care for that style because it's like it—it's not so much emphasizing the importance of what's going on; is basically speeding up the process heavily, and it—it it basically automates like a large portion of all the things that you would be trying, and it's just instead of okay, well, maybe we can handle this another way or something like that. It basically just compresses all of the interesting things that players would come up with, all of the interesting ideas they do, like all of the, the innovative concepts. It just compresses that all down to a single die roll and just shoves the story forwards, bypassing like what I think is often some of the most interesting parts of the game. I think it actually diminishes like the best parts that you get out of role playing a lot of the time by just trying to rush through to see what the end is without enjoying the journey along the way.
3: I don't I think you're misunderstanding no. its point.
2: Well, I understand what it's trying to do, but I'm saying that by the nature of how it actually goes about doing it mechanically it actually Bypasses
4: mm. a lot of it i i think I, that I, sorry go uh, ahead i think there's i think there are times and places for both approaches oh, yeah i think that Which what it does has to be used judiciously based on the situation at hand
5: yeah
1: because
5: mm. i was going to comment and say that uh It it kind of codifies something that the GM should be doing on their own. uh In when you look at like old school games, like it it sort of left it to the GM to say, okay, like you tried whatever picking a lock for kind of beat a dead horse as far as that goes. Like it it's up to the GM to say you can't do this again. Great. <clears throat> and and you get what Cat said is like, well, what if we change the the situation? which which allows for some player yeah. creativity, but in the end it's the same lock and like how how much can you change that and, right. and it was always left up to the GM to say no, you, you know what I mean uh,
3: yeah to, uh, to be to be fair to the rule, it does say until the situation changes, that's the rule. yeah I was yes. going to say that as yeah. well It's yeah. until the situation changes enough so that it would
5: be reasonable for you to right
0: are we sorry are we talking
5: again? about the lock picking the, rule, or just
0: the.
3: The burning wheel. The burning wheel. let it ride thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Until the situation changes. Yeah.
5: Yeah. And yeah. it, it, um, I think there's sort of a design reason for it, but I think, you know, people who liked playing the way they were playing is like, oh, well, what about all that other cool stuff I was doing? Exactly like Kat said. I think mm-hmm. that yeah. it, it's one of, it's one of the split the the sort of dividing points between sort of OSR and sort of the newer style uh, of
6: play. Hmm. Uh, Maybe well, I don't well, know. The, well, the important part of what I want to say, which might like got somewhat lost, is if, basically if I think I feel like if you roll dice, the situation should change. But I guess everyone agrees with that.
0: Yeah. No, no I, I agree with War, Yes. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. <laughs> I if think you, if mean, you did something,
3: you hit, you hit the dice are a point of where the conversation has to give itself up to a mechanic because that's like where you go like, well, because then you're just having the conversation and, and it goes into like, well, I did this. Well, okay. Well, then this happens. Okay. Well, I do this to compensate. And then what well, you do? Okay. Well, then this happens. And then, okay, well, I'm going to try this method. And then you go, okay. Well, at some point let's condense all the causality. Of the situation down into the randomness of a die roll, because we don't want to have the conversation.
2: That actually makes for half an hour. With the the terminology, it's a resolution mechanic. It has to resolve something. Yes. If it's not resolving, resolving,
4: it is resolving uncertainty. Yeah. Rolling dice is the act of opening the box to see if Schrodinger's cat is is inside.
2: Yeah. Now sometimes, sometimes it's perfectly legitimate. To be able to roll the dice more than once. But I wouldn't suggest it on a regular basis. Like most of the time you want to have as little rolling of the dice. As little like retrying something over and over. Like try to be as innovative as you can the first time. But if you get new information by trying something. Then sometimes it's useful to be like okay we now have new information. Can we put this to use? But that's the situation changing.
4: Yes. Yeah, yeah. That that comes down to teaching the GM and the players how to operate the conversation.
2: Yeah. The problem with that is that it's like, if the situation changes enough, and that's a very subjective term.
3: Which requires which a is, conversation.
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, <laughs> that winds up being uh, a little too vague for me in a lot of cases, where it's like. Okay, well, I tried to climb a wall, and I found, like, there's a safe outcropping halfway up it. That's useful, but I wasn't able to make it to it. Well, that's useful enough information that you can do something with it. Is it close enough that you can use, like, a grappling hook on it or something? Like, you have new information. Can you put it to use? Some people will say yeah, that's perfectly legitimate. The situation has changed. Other people will be like, nope, you weren't able to make it to the outcropping, so nothing has changed. You can't continue from this point on. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion is going to come into.
3: You mean in, like, those specific instances?
2: Yeah. Like, like, is this actually something where... The players are like, no, no, I totally think I have a new way to get around this, and GM's like, no, we've already tried, you failed.
5: I think that the that's the kind of the part of the game that can't be designed for in the sense of like every sort of person is subjectively looking at the information, right? And so every table will have slight variance. And we accept that we accept that as Designer,
2: yeah, um, it's not even a bad thing. Like if you no, didn't but, have that variation, yeah. then every game would come out exactly the same.
5: Yeah, but but in a sense, when when you were saying like you don't really like that ambiguity, uh, it's sort of inevitable.
2: To I think afraid, it doesn't mean you can't minimize it or at least provide like some basic guidelines so that everybody's sort of on the same page. Like one of the biggest points of a game to have rules at all is to keep everybody on the same page so that there's not like well this person did this and they were able to get something out of it and i did the same thing and i got something different out of it it's like there there want there does need to be some sort of homogenousness
3: you mean consistency
2: yeah consistency <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah, I know there
0: was a
4: word for
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the point is, like, you, you want to be able to have something that all the players can generally agree on something. Like, if the orc has 10 life and I deal 5 damage, it, it only has 5 life. That's It's not the same thing exactly, but it's that there is a consistency to it so that the GM and the players are on the same page and they're not, like disagreeing with each other over what's happened like the whole point we put out earlier about a conversation is that we're trying to agree on the the actual fiction that's taking place and the rules are a scaffolding to do that
4: yeah rules are a every rule establishes a framework of fictional normalcy and in doing so, also
1: frames the conversation. So it's it's interesting, because I, I think this connects back to what Jonathan's question was at the beginning of this, which is, what conversation are we designing for? Because there are some games and some rules that exist that are intended to be that meta conversation between the players, where uh, you can discuss what failure and success mean before the dice are rolled and that mm-hmm. changes what that um, that outcome is. So you're you've discussed with the players in a meta sense what happens after this uh, mechanical step and then after that mechanical step then it's back to uh, the fictional consequences like the in-game results Um mm-hmm for the players to make a decision based off of that fiction. Um, So in a sense, you could say that you are designing in a rule like that for that meta conversation between players. And how do you facilitate players and GMs talking about, well, we know that you're going to roll some dice right now. So in the case that you succeed, x happens. And in the case that you fail, y happens. Um, And there could be rules around facilitating that conversation as well so
3: yeah i think that's one of the ways we can design for the conversation i think Mm -hmm. one of the things that that um uh the blades in the dark taught me is that uh outlining your position ahead of the role is very 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 useful to establishing a shared fiction between Mm -hmm. the players and the gm um that that little bit of like established fictional positioning is the first thing you do before you do anything. is like, are, are you in a position to succeed at all or try? And then how big of an effect could you have if you succeed or fail? And I think that that little thing, like get the players in the, because many games often have an implied scenario where the player knows what they get if they succeed, but have no sense of the stakes if they fail. And I think that works in Detriment to the game overall, because then the players are are sort of in this limbo until they, you know, open the, the Schrodinger's box and see if the, their their character is alive or dead. Um, but isn't because, that
4: limbo the state of where the drama comes from?
3: No, I don't think. Well, not specifically. Not specifically. I think the suspense comes from the die roll and like whether or not the bad thing is going to happen knowing the stakes or at least the potential downside of the thing ahead of time i think only heightens the drama
5: and it also clarifies like you said the uh can i can't remember the wording you use but between the gm and the player they're the on the shared same page. The
3: shared fiction yeah
5: yeah yeah, yeah. so because the gm might see a certain action as risk and because of a description, the player doesn't see it that way, and right. so then it it allows for clarification before that role is made. And right? They,
3: yeah, yeah. I Which think is... it's very useful. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, what are some other way? Well, what do you guys do in your games to design for the fiction? That's you know, uh, briefly. Um, what do you What do you put one th- in?
4: One thing I try to do is. Not so much how I devise rules, but it's more of a presentation point Mm -hmm. to emphasize to players that they always have opportunity. Hmm.
0: What, What does that mean, exactly?
4: It means... Part of what it means is that players should not wait to be prompted. Mm-hmm. They they should feel confident in their rightful in in their um, duty to assert themselves. Mm-hmm. So, for, so for them to take the reins of the conversation momentarily and drive it.
0: Okay. And so not order... wait for
4: the GM to spell out what's happening to them
0: okay so you're you're just saying make sure to empower the players so that they understand that they have power within this fiction that they can take action and affect it
5: in a serious yes. way
0: okay no that's a great point
5: okay. so I I'm haven't written a lot but it, it right now where I am in design Feel like there's like being explicit is okay like it doesn't break and and i like being explicit about the direction i want the players to go in and so without knowing and just getting into design and then i heard people refer to my game as a procedural um hmm. which just means you do this then i do this and you do this and i do this and it sounds like kind of boring and shitty <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean, it, sounds, it sounds a little anti role play. Um, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I, that's what I felt when I read it for your first time. And then I played it and I was like, oh, no, that was actually really, that was not the case at all. It was just a codification of the conversation we would have been having, just mm-hmm. in these steps that give us this prompt and this output. And I, yeah. But I, I totally understand where where that that criticism could originate from. Um, yeah. So it but, could yeah, be in a I, weird spot after Mm -hmm. the fact, like where
5: just that it there may be perception based on how you read the rules about whether you even bother playing it or not. Right. Uh but that said, the game plays how I want it to play. For anyone who bothers to take the time to play it, I've been very happy with feedback in a in a big overall sense. So yeah, I I like I like explicit. Mm -hmm. Just do
4: this. (laughs) <laughs> is, do you see a way to maintain that explicitness and and while fixing the presentational fault? Um e, yes. So
5: since this game plays short, I think fine as it is. Um I, I'm fine with, with the presentation fault. Um, okay, but one way I I find that one one way one thing I'm thinking is pre uh, pre designed uh, scenarios um, that helps vision something else envision the the potential for role in in this case. But I think going forward in the next games and like campaign style long. Long games that, um, I think you still have to be explicit. But I think you have to. Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm not there yet. I, I, I believe I still believe in explicit. You can do this, or you well, should do this.
4: Okay. Okay. Then explicit in what way? Like when players can act, or what they can do, or yeah.
5: Uh, yes. So so explicit. So a good example of being explicit without sort of taking away, like, the sandbox feel the game is explicitly telling players slash GMs what they are responsible for and what they have complete power over. Um, Blades in the Dark does that very well with a, a section that says, these are your responsibilities as a player you have 100 percent control over this as a gm or as a player um but that's just on one page and the rest is very allows for this sort of i don't know i think there's a lot of those explicit rules but sort of open campaign uh
2: ability
4: okay sure
2: well all right. <laughs> uh, so
0: one of the things I I have written down and that I try to do in my games um, to bring up this point is uh, is keeping the GM's job or the tell word. I th- is that the word you were
4: wanting to use? Is that how I pronounce it, car? Tell word. Uh, tell word. Yeah. Tell word. I wasn't okay. really intending for that to go out in this episode, but.
0: Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll just give a teaser for it. Um, but whatever you want to call that kind of um, that kind that kind of uh, position that meta role, that meta role. Yeah, sure. Um, that kind of position on the table, that meta role um, is making sure that they have um, because there's usually extra stuff they have to do, they have to control more characters or control the world or something, is to make sure that they have tools that make their job quick and easy. Um, and so that they can immediately go, you know, so they can keep the conversation rolling. And when a player says something, they don't have to go, Oh, I don't know what that rule is. They can immediately, you know, make a judgment based upon what the rules of the game are and go, here's what happens. Um, So that, you know, because part of the keeping conversation going is make sure that you don't have to go, Oh God, what is this rule? You know, figure out something that makes everyone stop and have to do math or something so i think that that's 15 an important million part.
4: To, or 15 minutes of rules lawyering
0: yeah yeah whatever um but yeah giving them the tools to make sure that they can you know to make sure that they have a fairly easy job so that they can keep the conversation going and so that they can always have a a reply that both makes sense within the context of the fiction and the rules but is something that they can you know make a quick judgment on and then just keep going
2: what you're saying about like the rules and such like it gets it can bog down things like that's generally your ideal level of how many roles you have is enough rules that there's enough structure that you don't get stuck on a position where it's like, I don't know what to do with this because the rules are clear. They tell you what to do. If you have a situation where there's so many roles and they're so convoluted and there's so many of them that you can't remember them all, then you have too many. So you kind of want enough information to say what you can do, but not so much that you're not sure what all the rules are. Hmm.
3: Yeah, that makes sense.
5: The yeah. proper mix of clarity and brevity.
3: Yeah, and also yeah. Uh, how broad and widely applicable they are to various situations. Like, mm-hmm. if Like, if your game has a ton of different subsystems, it becomes very tricky to Maintain the conversation because you are having to stop and utilize different mechanics for things. Whereas if you have a more unified mechanic, it helps the conversation move along because the players know there's less, how to how to reach into the toolbox. You know.
4: Yeah, and there's you know. there's less mental math in their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say in
2: general, you usually want to have your overall mechanics, like your resolution mechanics, should be fairly universal. You might have minor variations in specific situations but for the most part keep it as universally consistent as possible and only add in specific rules and details for specific actions that don't match with everything else like if you want to make one character able to do something that another character can't then it's okay for there to be like a fairly minor but small rule that says Okay, you are deviating from the norm, you are able to do this when nobody else can, because you have like this ability. But otherwise, by default, you should always be able to go back to if there are no other rules that are specifically changing things, this is the default that always takes place.
3: Yeah. And you know, to that end, the another part of, of helping the GMs um keep the conversation going is actually not is not giving them a lot to do. Um, I mean that's that's why in ashes I don't have the GM rolling dice for enemy actions. it's 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 a very specific design choice because um, it's something that I've, I noticed a lot of games a lot of games do this where they have um, very complex player characters. And enemies that are similarly complex, and they expect the game master to keep track of five plus players, and then also five plus enemies, and it becomes such a heavy load that the the GM, most people, the tell word, let's let's keep using it, the tell word can't um, can't maintain the flow of conversation because they actually don't know what's about to happen next, because there's there's too many things they have to keep track of. Mm. Um, and so this doesn't present a problem in um, things like Power by the Apocalypse, because there just aren't that many things that those enemies are capable of doing that are outside the core mechanic of respond to the players when the players fuck up. Mm. But in games like D&D Shadowrun, um, World of Darkness, take your pick, like all of these...
2: I'd say Shadowrun a lot more than D&D, like D&D, it, 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 it's, it's, it's very material.
3: It, 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 well, it, it is isn't. it isn't, but it, let, let's, sure, Shadowrun's a particularly egregious example of um, you better know, <laughs> God forbid, God forbid you forget to put gas masks on your enemies. <laughs> you know? I, I agree
4: with your point, Rob. Yeah. However, at some point a GM is just digging their own grave with regard to their own workload.
3: Uh, Yeah, but that's only because the game hasn't done its job.
2: I I would say it's both, because the GM can definitely add more to their workload that the game is already providing for them. It's like, man, this this is good, but I want more control. I want to do more with it than what it says by default.
3: But that's not the game's yeah, fault. We can't we can't design around that. that it, that's true. That's not it's what we're not talking D&D's, about. It's
4: not D and D's fault that the GM decides. Oh, we need kobolds and orcs and gnolls and trolls all on this battle man at the same time.
3: Right. Wait, it's not D and D's fault.
4: Well, not no, general. it's not. It, the GM made the choice to put all those. Oh things yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's like you're giving yourself more trouble than you really needed to have. Uh-huh.
1: There's... An interesting idea. Um, so I follow Matt Colville, who's a game designer, and he's worked on a bunch of different um, small like RPGs, and, or I guess larger RPGs. And um, when he GMs, he said that he doesn't pay attention to the rules that govern his players' characters. So if you're a... like He, he predominantly does D&D stuff, but If you are playing a ranger, he expects you to know how all the ranger stuff works. He will not look into what is involved in being able to cast your spell or what uh, Mark of Enmity does when you mark your target. That's all on the player. And that allows him to have less cognitive load of thinking about, hang on a second, you're casting this spell, how does that work again? And being. Taken as like the resource or the um the the lookup dictionary of all of the game mechanics and rules mm-hmm. um, and I think that's one way where the game doesn't necessarily design itself in a way that alleviates that like he had to make that mental choice that a lot of new game designers or game uh, masters aren't taking they're not necessarily saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be aware of all of the rules for your character, and I'm not going to do it. Um, and if there's a way that the game itself could provide that and say um, there, there's less cognitive load that's going on the GM because of such and such mechanic, I think that helps to set up for the game master being focused on establishing the fiction for following the the that transition to the conversation with the players or in the fiction. So
3: I agree. I mean, I actually, I actually have that in the front and under what the players do is they take, it is your responsibility to know your mechanics. Mm -hmm. I mean, there aren't a lot, but like I, I outlined that very specifically. And Mm -hmm. it's, and and one of the things D and D doesn't do that. Like they don't say like you're responsible. Like, like you said, Matt Coval had to say, had to take a position, um, because the game in my opinion in that area is poorly designed it it's Mm -hmm. not telling the players what they should know about their character Mm. it assumes because it assumes oh the players want to know everything about what their character does but like right that's (laughs) often often (laughs) that's not the case often i i you know you like you you get somebody at the table and they go like how does this ability work and you go like it's literally written on your character sheet yeah, I don't yeah. know what else I could do for you. It tells you what to do, and but yeah, the, yeah. the whole you haven't the whole bothered point even of to even read the player's yeah. handbook. So what? What the hell? Like my ex- right. my explanation wouldn't make any sense, you know, because yeah. you haven't even done the basic leg legwork. Um, and like the, the whole would, point what, of yeah, yeah, the whole point of what
4: Colville ultimately had to supply that the game he was running didn't provide is an acknowledgement that there is a minimum threshold for player engagement right right if the player doesn't know how to operate their character they're
1: not playing to their fullest extent they're not fully engaged right in in that game because i could say that there are different styles of game where that's not necessary where if you're playing rises you don't Really need to care about how mechanics work because the game itself is a whole joke. Um, so, and and not like not to discredit rises. It's supposed to be like a, a comedy. So it it's it, a good it, joke. Yeah. Uh, so when you're establishing your your framework for the rules and for the setup of your game, I think that might be something that should be explicit. Where so you're saying. This is what you need to be engaged in this game. This is the expectation of playing this mm. game is that it involves you knowing the rules of how your character works. And if you're not willing to do that, if that's not like right for your environment or your style, then this is not the right kind of game to play. Like it's yeah. just not gonna happen. So you're not gonna enjoy it. Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I,
4: I did I didn't mean to imply that the that threshold of player engagement was constant across every game. It's, mm-hmm. It varies from game to game. But everybody at the table has to know what that threshold is.
1: Right. No, I was just highlighting it in terms of a design point. Because mm-hmm. you as the game designer can now say, how, how can I make sure that everyone at the table has that engagement, that minimum engagement that's needed? And is it like, I just say it in the rules, and this is what I expect from anyone who's playing this game? Or are there mechanics that can support that? Are there ways that you say, uh when you are engaged when you know the rules of the game x is in your favor or uh x is not in your favor if you're mm-hmm. if you forget a rule and you're depending on looking up the rule in the the handbook is that like a negative for you is that like a meta well, rule that we're imposing i don't know
3: i'm just well so wondering. so p- part of that if taken to an extreme right that is the ivory tower philosophy of game design where you where you purposefully put in bad choices uh in the game and make them the same choice value as good choices meaning like let's say you have two abilities one ability and and everybody every player gets one ability choice at this particular stage and then you have abilities in there that are obviously less powerful if you're paying attention at all and then the players that choose those abilities just aren't won't have as much fun or Aren't going to be as effective, which I equate with be having fun in a tabletop RPG, um, and and you're you are saying like here's here is I'm going to reward the people who are paying attention, mm-hmm. um, yeah. explicitly, well maybe not explicitly but implicitly, um, and I'm going to penalize the people who are not paying attention by making their characters suck or yeah
2: that kind of was a major problem i found in fourth edition D actually was the uh like first character i tried to make for it was a druid and every level you'd get like a few choices of what abilities do you want to learn and the thing was it's like well here's the ability for casting spells here's the ability for doing some other thing and then here's your ability for oh Here's your shape-shifting ability. If you're a shape-shifting druid, then basically, right top to bottom, every single one, almost all of them, should be pick the shapeshifting off. Because if you're picking another one, you generally can't use it. You're probably harming yourself. And I was mm-hmm. like, why are you even presenting these as choices now? Because there's almost never a reason to pick anything other than the obvious one
3: right well there's there's do- that we'll see but that's not an example of ivory tower game design because the choice is actually obvious and it's labeled It's like well, here's it's the shape-shifting a, one oh it's, it's not, not a choice
2: always it's not it's not you know, always the case like there are some where it's like they'll sneak in oh this one ability is simply so good that it doesn't matter which Specialization, your druid is. Okay. It's like even if you're a shapeshifter, they still take the healing option
3: because it's insanely powerful. Right, but the the it, that's that's not that's not quite what I'm getting at because those powers are more in line with each other than, say, let's say the difference between a a fifth level fighter and a fifth level druid in D and D third edition, where the fifth oh. level druid is far and away superior in almost every conceivable case and the player that just wanted to show up and not have complicated abilities like is gets to swing their sword and roll a d20 and that's it and generally speaking you know what i mean like so so it, it rewards the player that's willing to go through the spell list and actually select out good stuff and 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 rewards them in their in their choice of playing a spellcaster rather than saying like the gonna put we're gonna put the people that don't have to pick abilities from a long list and the people that do have to put pick abilities from a long list on roughly even footing in terms of effectiveness and participation. We're going to make we're gonna give the people that are willing to put in the effort of going through all this stuff cooler toys. It's a it's a philosophy. I don't like it personally, but I think there's a place for it because some people really do like that stuff. Some people really love going through spell lists and selecting out the coolest shit, you know, and that's a a, a part of the part of the fun of the the game that that they would miss if it wasn't there. So I understand that.
2: That kind of ties a little bit back into where the original question was, which was your question on, like, well, what does your game have to do with uh, giving the players, like, options and such towards you know pushing forwards the uh, conversation part so i'd actually like to get back into that if we're
3: yeah yeah i'm done i was just i just wanted to diverge for a second into that little bit because i think the (laughs) well because the philosophy is there and i think it it needs to be at least discussed because it is part of how you design for the conversation um by 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 outlining certain options and making ones weaker um you're 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 pushing for a level of player engagement that is not that you're not pushing for in an explicit way it's, it's hard to describe I'm not sure what I'm getting at exactly um, <laughs> <laughs> <I got laughs> but start. it's like but it's like it's an experience that doesn't exist in apocalypse world right like the experience of designing of of playing like a tenth level wizard in any version of d d does not exist in apocalypse world like that they're, they're told they're not even remotely similar um, um. and you know what I'm getting no, you're at right. yeah
0: yeah yeah you but I don't I mean I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing though No I didn't say it's more a bad thing I'm just saying the difference
3: such. I'm just saying the difference should be discussed and talked about because one there there are two different philosophies of game design that lead you t- down two different routes you know in, in what your game ultimately is going to be and I you mean, should be aware think, of both Yeah
5: I think to sort of have a more fair comparison uh you can look at Dungeon World which kind of comes in between Apocalypse World and D&D in the the sense of, like, hey, what do I want my character to do? Because you can go ahead and look at abilities and spells and, yeah, that's where I'm going to go with it 10 sessions down the road.
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It asks, like, what are games doing specific for guiding people towards, like, uh, filling the conversation inside. now there's two main ways off the top of my head that mine covers it actually there's probably a lot more but two big ones is one of which is for the skill rolls is when you're doing like a skill that's more difficult than you're skilled enough to handle um the main thing it does is it adds more complications than you can reliably handle So you're going to have to choose what you give up. Like, you're not going to get a perfect situation. You're going to run into a situation where you can only do so much. You have to sacrifice something. And the question is, what do you do in this situation? What do you want to sacrifice? And as soon as you ask the player that, then you're adding their input into what's going on. The other thing is very similar in the way, I don't like the term social combat, but for lack of a better term off the top of my head, when you're dealing discourse. with, it's not necessarily discourse either. Because if it's just discourse, then you don't necessarily need to have rules for it at all. But anyway,
4: if you're, That's exactly you're, the tr- point.
2: Yeah. If you're trying to convince something some thing or change their mode of behavior or whatever rather than just roll a number this is what you get it the way i've got it structured it is more so that the the game provides like a question it's like how do you try to change their mind and then you select what option you want to go in through and when you do that it basically has you say well what specifically happens? It, it nudges you towards a few different options. You pick which option, and then you—it's open enough that the players can add in specific details. Like, it doesn't tell you what you say. It's not like in a video game where it's like, select this response and you speak it word for word. It's more like, what's the general tone you want to use? What kind of tactics are you going for? You can give the specific details, and the specific details may actually change the outcome, but it gives you enough scaffolding that the players know where the conversation is and where they can go with it. Because if they don't have an idea of what their options are, they usually don't even know what to even begin to say. So, just given a nudge in the direction of here are your options, pick one. And do what you want within the confines of that. That's generally one of the easiest yeah.
3: ways to do it. Yeah, I agree. Outlining options is always a good thing. I think, yeah. even if it, even if it's just by example.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks for joining us again, listeners. Join us next week where we continue to prattle on about conversations and shit. I'm pretty sure one of us has something interesting next week. Anyway, thanks again. And as Gary Oak said, smell you later.